I'm almost tempted to begin the message today by saying Happy New Year. It might surprise a few of you, but I heard a few of you uh, say Merry Christmas, believe it or not, this morning. You were just a little confused by the holiday. Somebody actually said Merry Easter today. But whatever it is, Easter is the beginnings of spring. I don't know if you've noticed yet, but spring has sprung in Texarkana. I mean, just walk around. The leaves just suddenly seem to just pop out on the trees in the last couple of weeks. Flowers are beginning to bloom. The trees are beginning to bloom. Things are beginning to turn green, except for that which is covered by that yellow pollen stuff. But we see signs of life all around us. Now, see, this is what Easter really means to those of us a Christian faith. It is life all around us. It is the difference between Christianity being a vibrant global movement and being a long-forgotten philosophy. One of my favorite Christian writers is Warren Wearsby. And Warren Wearsby has written, Easter is the truth that turns a church from a museum into a ministry. See, if it wouldn't be for the resurrection, we would just be gathered this morning in a museum. See, Easter is important. I don't need to tell you this, but it's because Jesus rose from the dead. This is the belief that the Christian church is built on, the resurrection of Christ. And without the resurrection, there would be no Christian faith. In fact, I'll tell you, friends, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, last man out, turn off the lights, lock the doors. We are wasting our time if Jesus has not come back from the grave. See, the whole Christian faith, everything you understand about it, is built on the fact that Jesus came back from the dead. The resurrection is essential for everything that you and I believe. It proves that Jesus was who he said he was. On your outline, I think I put down Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Paul said he was declared with power to be the Son of God. How? By his resurrection from the dead. Without the resurrection, guess what? Jesus was just a good teacher. If there was no resurrection, when the ladies went to the tomb, all they were doing was going to take care of a dead rabbi. That's if there was no resurrection. Henry Morris has written a rather interesting book. It's called Many Infallible Proofs. And he writes, The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection didn't take place, then Christianity is a false religion. But if it did take place, then Christ is God and the Christian faith is absolute truth. Kind of what C.S. Lewis said, you know, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was really the Lord. And you've got to come face to face with that all the time. Either Jesus was the biggest liar there ever was, or he was absolutely raving nuts to say what he did, or he was exactly who he said he was. You know, there are a lot of critics out there of Christianity, and believe it or not, I think almost every year that I've ever been a pastor, particularly when it comes around to Christmas and Easter, I hear from these people. They post things on my blog, because I tend to write things about Christianity, or sometimes I get unsolicited emails. They're critics of Christianity. I had one not too many years ago that said, you know, you are the head indoctrinator of your local church. And I thought, the head indoctrinator? 
and he went on to say was that the people at my church were all indoctrinated. And they had been indoctrinated from when they were little kids. I mean, they said that churches like yours don't allow people to have any doubt. They're not allowed to talk about things or debate things because if they were really allowed to talk and debate about it, they would understand how Christianity is wrong. Gosh, I read that letter and I thought, which church was he talking about? I have never, ever belonged to a church that squashed talk about Jesus. I mean, the church I have always been a part of my entire life, and I've been a Lutheran, you know, ever since, you know, baptism to today, always encourages intellectual curiosity. The church I've been a part of my entire life recognizes that good and sincere people sometimes disagree on certain points of view. And the church I've been a part of my entire life also recognizes that an individual's faith must be personal. It's not enough to just believe something just because you've been told it ever since you were a little kid. You've got to own that faith yourself. Your faith needs to be heartfelt in order for it to be genuine. Luke 24, which Kevin read to you earlier today, we see the followers of Jesus coming to kind of what we might call own their own Christian faith. We see how their faith came from head knowledge down to being heart knowledge and then ultimately hand and foot knowledge all the way out into the kingdom. Now, how did that happen? How did that happen? I want to suggest to you that in the Easter story, there are three different kinds of faith that are demonstrated here. And if you kind of put this kind of faith to work in your own life, I think you'll find yourself growing stronger and deeper in your faith in this resurrected Jesus. Now, here's the very first thing I want you to, 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 to see. We need to see, oh, actually, we need to see a need for a see-for-yourself kind of faith. A see-for-yourself kind of faith. Now, I don't know if you remember everybody's reaction to the resurrection. If you were here at the sunrise service, that's what I preached about. But yes, there were, the women were puzzled. You know, they were going there to rub some spices on Jesus because they didn't want his body to decay and deteriorate as fast as it might normally do so. They went not to find a raised Jesus. They came to find a dead rabbi. And when the angels came and told them what happened, you know, then suddenly they go and they run away and they tell the other apostles what had happened. Jesus is risen. And the apostles say, what? There's a bunch of nonsense. And then Peter runs to the tomb, and Peter's looking in. He sees an empty tomb. He sees grave clothes. And what does the Bible say? He walked away wondering, what happened? Don't know. Now, it's not that they didn't want Jesus to be raised from the dead. Don't think that at all. Of course, everybody wanted Jesus back alive. They, just, they wanted it more than anything else in the world. They just weren't quite ready for what I would call a leap of faith of believing that it happened without some kind of evidence. Now, the women became convinced when? When two angels appeared to them. I think that might convince me. How about you? You're not sure of some biblical fact, and suddenly, boop, you know, here's Gabriel and Michael, and they go, yeah, Barry, it's right. I go, okie dokie. That convinced me. For the apostles, though, the witness of the women was not enough. Peter saw the 
empty tomb. He saw the empty shroud, and he still left wondering. It was only later that they became fully convinced. Jesus appeared to them. He kind of appeared out of nowhere. In fact, one time he actually walks right through the door. I mean, through the door. The door was shut. And, and what was their reaction? I mean, they thought they saw a ghost. And what Jesus said was, look at me, look at me, look at my hands, look at my feet. It's me. Touch me. Feel me. See, a ghost doesn't have what I've got. And in a simpler way, that's the same thing Jesus is saying to you, not just this Easter, but every day. He's saying, friends, look at me. Listen to my teachings. Examine my words. Hear what I have to say about what I say about myself. I am the one I claim to be. Come, taste and see. Check me out. See, eventually, friends, you've got to come to the place where your faith is transformed from what you've been told to what you actually experience yourself. Now, Garrett, I don't want you to listen to this for a while, or Courtney, you know, in confirmation, but i got to tell you something. When I was in your situation being confirmed, I was listening to what everybody else was telling me about Jesus. It was all good stuff. I mean, nice pastor, kind of like the one you got. They were telling me this stuff all the time, but i got to tell you something. I don't think it was until I was in high school that I really experienced it for myself. I mean, how many of you, you know, I'm not saying I wasn't a Christian, but I mean, how many of you, honestly, you probably say you were a Christian your whole life, but it wasn't at confirmation when you went, yep, that's it. <laughs> you probably had another experience somewhere, sometime, almost an aha, like this is real. This is what I really, honestly, truly believe. Now, the question is, how do you get there? How do you get from head knowledge to heart knowledge? Well, you keep on looking. That's what you do. I mean, I didn't take my catechism and Bible and hymnal and chuck them in the trash can when confirmation was done and say, I must have arrived. I got the certificate. I got the hand on the head. The pastor gave me a verse. I'm done. I'm out of here. Even though that's what happens to a lot of eighth graders. But you've got to keep on looking in that word. You keep on asking questions. You keep on learning. You keep on growing. You develop a see-for-yourself kind of faith. Anybody who's ever come to me and said, I'm not sure, I just say, keep on looking. Keep on looking. Keep your eyes open. Keep reading. Well, there's a second thing you need to do, and that's a scripturally sound faith. See, it's your self-faith, but also a scripturally sound faith. See, after Peter left the empty tomb, he was wondering what happened. Luke's gospel suddenly shifts gears. It's kind of interesting. And suddenly he goes from Jesus being raised to two men walking on the road from Jerusalem back to Emmaus, about a seven-mile walk. And as they're walking along, you know, just trudging along, very disappointed because of what's happened, suddenly a third man shows up. Well, you all know who that was. That was Jesus. But for some reason, they didn't recognize Jesus. And Jesus asked them, why do you have such sad faces? I mean, what have you been talking about? And they begin telling this stranger about Jesus. They were telling him how he was such a powerful prophet. They told him how they'd been in Jerusalem and how they'd seen this prophet be put to death and 
even though they hoped that he would be the one who would redeem Israel. And they said their dreams were shattered because they expected Jesus to be some sort of a big political leader. That he was going to rescue Israel from the Roman tyranny. He was going to be a Rambo for them. He was going to lead them into an age of, of peace and prosperity. And that was their hope. But guess what, friends? It wasn't based on the Bible. It wasn't based on the Bible. It was based on a common misperception of the Bible. First century Jews were always looking for a Messiah that's true. But God had a different kind of Messiah in mind. Well, the two men still continued talking about Jesus, and they told him. In addition, some of the women actually amazed us. They went to the tomb. They didn't find his body. They came back and told us what they'd seen. Uh, you know, we just thought it was a bunch of nonsense. A couple of disciples went, and they saw an empty tomb, but we never saw him. And there's Jesus standing right next to them. And to these two disciples, Jesus said, quote, How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. I think that would have been really cool, wouldn't you? To walk seven miles with Jesus while he's doing Bible study. He starts with Moses and the prophets. He starts explaining to them how the Messiah wouldn't come merely to establish some big political kingdom. He explains to them how the Messiah is going to come and be a ransom for all of their sins. He, he said the Messiah is going to come to offer salvation. It was going to be made available for everybody. Oh, man, it's no wonder later these guys said, didn't our hearts burn inside of us? You know, in about three weeks, I get to go to Minnesota and spend about two days with my favorite Bible teacher and a couple of other Bible teachers that I've sat under before. I just can't wait to get there to hear what they're going to teach. But I got, I got news for you. It wouldn't be anything like walking and talking with Jesus. I mean, Jesus doesn't have to tell you what's in the book. Jesus is the book. Isn't that the way John starts? I mean, somebody got a, maybe somebody's read the Bible. You know, John chapter 1, verse 1 doesn't say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I think so. What a cool Bible class that would be. Well, the day is going on. I mean, this Bible study takes a while. And so the guys invite Jesus in for supper. And, and, and they sit down, and this is what Luke says. When he, Jesus, was at the table with them, he took bread, he would have taken that loaf of unleavened bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And at that point, their eyes opened and they said, bingo. Well, no, that's not really in the scriptures. But their eyes opened and it was like, whoa. They recognized it and just like that, Jesus was gone. It was late at night, what those two guys do? They got up and they ran all the way back to Jerusalem, another seven miles. Now, let me ask you this question. How was it that they finally recognized Jesus? Oh, it was in the, in the way he broke the bread. Well, I don't think really. I maybe, maybe not exactly. I think it was 
the fact that he had spent all afternoon teaching and explaining the Scriptures to them. See, before they met Jesus that day, they were still holding on to some pretty erroneous ideas about who Jesus really was. I mean, their faith, if you will, was more cultural than scriptural. That's like when people heard Nancy and I were going to move to Texas. They say, oh, you're going to move down to Texas. They're all Baptists. Well, I think being Baptist is a cultural phenomenon sometimes in the South. Because I had talked to a lot of Baptists, and I asked them which church they go to, and they go, uh, 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 that one over on uh, 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 there. I said, oh, yeah, that one. And your pastor is, oh, he's, uh, 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 I, I just don't remember his name. It's, uh, 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 it's kind of a cultural thing. It's kind of like showing up on Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter and sneaking in for a couple of weddings and funerals during the year. But see, for these two men to genuinely know who Jesus was personally, they needed to know the truth about him. And even today, I'm still really perplexed that there are people who have gone to church their entire lives. They really don't know who the biblical Jesus is. Now, they know the Republican Jesus or the Democrat Jesus or the ultra-left-wing or right-wing Jesus. They know the hippie Jesus. They know the salesman Jesus. They know the timid Jesus. They know the angry Jesus. They know the wishy-washy Jesus or whatever other kind of Jesus you want to come up with that's been passed on to them down through life. But they don't know who the real Jesus is. And the reason they don't know is because they've never looked in the one place on a regular basis to find out where you can find out more about him. That's in your scriptures. That's why we place a high value on the Bible and on Bible studies. It's not that the Bible is to be worshipped. We're not a This is not first Biblian church. We don't worship the Bible. We worship Christ. But the Bible is the place that points us to Jesus. I mean, even Jesus himself in John chapter 539 says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of me. All I know, friends, is you've you got to eventually come to the place where your faith is transformed from what you've heard your whole life to what you actually know about Jesus. Your faith needs to be personal. Not just something that's left over from Sunday school or confirmation days. Now, the question is, how do you get there? I don't know any better way than by starting to read the Gospels. You know, the stories about Jesus. I remember preaching in the Soviet Union a number of years ago. And I was invited to preach on a Sunday morning. And they, it was a small church, they said. Well, what I found out was this small church invited everybody they knew, and so there were several thousand people that day in church. And as I sat on that platform, the first thing they said was how honored they were to have a world-class evangelist with them this morning. And I looked up and down the platform to see whether Billy Graham had showed up. And then I realized they were talking about me. And I looked at my prayer partners, and they said to me, good luck. But then they, they said they would pray for me. And I thought, well, okay, I can do this. 
And then he asked this question of thousands of people. How many of you have never come to church before? And no kidding, about 95% of the hands shot up. They had never been in a church before. And here I am sitting with a church sermon. I'm editing like crazy mentally. And then he asked the next question. How many of you do not know who Jesus is? And about 95% of the hands went back up again. And that's when I thought, you are in really deep weeds. To this day, I don't remember what it is I preached, but I can tell you that the sermon I came with that day stayed on the chair when I got up. I walked forward and I opened my Bible to the Gospel of John. I got to tell you something, when you preach overseas, if you don't preach 45 minutes to an hour, they think you either don't care or you don't know anything. Can we go for that today too? I'm just about done, honest. But I preached just the word from John. And when I was done, I sat down. And then the guy said, you've heard about Jesus. How many of you will come now to receive him as your Lord and Savior? And people just streamed down the aisle with tears in their eyes. Because in the word of God, they saw the real Jesus. And that's what you do. You read the Gospels. You read the stories about Jesus. You read his teachings. You read what the Bible says about Jesus. You read about his life. I mean, that's where you get to know who Jesus is. And there's a third part of this. You need a Holy Spirit-empowered faith. See it for yourself, a scripturally-based, but a Holy Spirit-powered faith. If you keep on reading in Luke chapter 24, you get down to verse 49. It says, Jesus said to them, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, what did the Father promise? You know, power from on high. Now, what is that? Well, in John 14, Jesus said, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then suddenly when Jesus is gone, here comes Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. See, that's what makes the Christian faith really personal. I mean, I, I think the, the common ordinary person who's open-minded can weigh the historical evidence and come up with a pretty reasonable conclusion that Jesus was who he said he was and that he, in fact, actually rose from the dead. I also believe that through the study of Scripture, you can come to know about the nature of Jesus Christ. But being a Christian is about much more than this. See, being convinced of the resurrection, being informed about what the Bible says isn't enough, you have to have that personal, one-on-one -on -one connection with Jesus. I'm sorry, some of you, this may break your heart, but you're not getting into heaven because your grandma had a great faith. I don't care how good you've been. If you don't have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus, your own one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus, heaven is not going to be your destination. Jesus knew this. That's why Jesus sent his helper. See, it's the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Lutheran church, we say the Holy Spirit calls us, gathers us, and enlightens us. That's what Luther said. 
It's another way of saying the Holy Spirit kind of empowers you to even receive Jesus. The Holy Spirit then empowers you to live a holy life. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms you. It's the Holy Spirit that just fills you to overflowing with all the gifts of God. See, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And in the same way, he tells us, you just need to wait sometimes on the Holy Spirit's power. He wants to give you faith. He wants to give you strength to live the life that you were called to live. But you can't do it without his help. You need the Holy Spirit. Now, the question again is, how do you get there? Well, you get there the same way that the first disciples of Jesus did. You just plain simple let God do it. You wait on him. I have no idea if there's anybody here this morning who is struggling in their Christian life today. If you're out there, God bless you for being here. I'm glad you're here. Nothing wrong with walking around kicking the tires of the church from time to time to see what's real and what's not so real. But if you are struggling in your Christian life, I can tell you that you're missing out on God's power. And you need to ask Him then to fill you with His Spirit and then wait for him to deliver. Isaiah 40, verse 31, one of my favorite Bible verses, it said, They who do what? Wait on the Lord. You wait on the Lord, and then the what? The Lord will renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings like eagles. You'll run, not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. That's the power of God's promises. We need to see for yourself faith. We need to have that kind of faith that not only hears but experiences, but we also need to have a faith that is powered by the Holy Spirit. That's what Easter is all about, to remind us of those things again. To remind us of what great love our Father in Heaven has for us. You know, I, I can be moved most of the time to do nice things for nice people. Occasionally I can be moved to do nice things for not-so-nice people. I have never, ever yet thought about how I could actually die for somebody else. Although I'd say I would probably be willing to put my life on the line for my wife, for my kids, my grandson. The rest of you, you're on your own. (laughs) But see, that's why Jesus came into this world, because we're all on our own, really. He's the one who would take a bullet for you. He's the one who hung on the cross. And guess what? It wasn't nails that held him up there, was it? It was his great love for you that held him up there. He could have come down any time he wanted to. He got up there, as I said on Good Friday, that when Jesus was crucified, Satan got nailed. His suffering, his death, his resurrection 